I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 14. 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 14. And uh, we've been teaching about the love of God. And we know that, you know, to get the full picture, you have to see, uh, you know, the whole, all the scripture that talk about the love of God. And uh, last Sunday we talked about uh, the anointing that was on Jesus. It says that God anointed him with the oil of gladness or joy above his fellows because he loved what was right he hated what was evil. And we hear a lot about loving what's right, but we don't hear much about hating what was evil. And so we dealt with that last week. But this week, uh, I'm going to talk about the love of God, but go kind of in a different direction. And I want to just uh, bring before your minds, you know, the creation account before we read these scriptures here, that when, when God created man in the beginning, uh, he created him individually in his image and likeness. Uh, you know, spirit, soul, and body, you know, God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that's a three-part being. He made man in his image and likeness. Man is a spirit being. He has a soul. He lives in a body. But he also created uh, the human family, which is also a trinity. Uh, you have a husband, typical uh, family. You have a husband, you have a wife, and you have children. And they were all meant to live in harmony with one another. And the family, from God's perspective, uh, the world that would be perpetuated, he planned for the family to be the basic training unit for the society that would be built. Uh, a society is not going to be any better than the families. Uh, you, don't fix the fa you don't fix the society without fixing the family. And God intended godly people uh, to have godly families, godly marriages, uh, raise godly children, and everybody walk in love with one another in the house of God or in their own house and in, in the house of God. And uh, the, we know, though, from the very beginning, Satan knew that too. And it's no wonder that he, the very first thing he t attacked was to separate the man and the woman from their God and then to separate the family members. You know, we have the first uh, murder, Cain killing Abel. Uh, so we know the devil has attacked the family to destroy the family uh, from the very beginning. That was his target. And, and he knows also that you destroy the training unit for society, you, you destroy the society. See, the reason our society is so crazy is because the family has gotten crazy. Families have been destroyed. Families have been fragmented. Families have got off track. But God, in his plan to redeem us, was planning to bring us to a place where restoration could take place in the family. Amen. And God gives us all kinds of remedies and different uh, ways to bring that restoration to pass. Now, as preachers, uh, <clears throat> you know, we always, we always preach the ideal. And we're supposed to. We preach God's highest and God's best. And, and when we talk about the family and we talk about love in the family, uh, whenever the Bible talks about the family, you'll notice it always talks about uh, what husbands are supposed to do, what wives are supposed to do, what children are supposed to do. 
and, and it always lists it in a series of, of relationships and roles that each one has to play. And that's because it takes everybody doing their part for there to be peace and love in that home. Peace and love in the home is not just one of those of the Trinity's responsibility. You know, husbands have to bring love in the home. Wives have to bring love in the home. Children have to bring love in the home. And, and when they obey what God says, that's an expression of love. You know, every role you, give, you have in the family, when you're obeying that role God gives you, that's an act of love. Now, as children, maybe you don't realize that you got love in your family, but you know, you think about it, when your dad's going to work and providing for you, that's love. When your mom is doing your laundry, when your mom is, is, is uh, ironing your clothes, when your mom is preparing meals, when your mom or dad, whoever does the shopping, goes to the grocery store, how many of you know that's a job? That's a work. But you know, that's love in the home. You know, they're, do, they're fulfilling their role in that family, and that's an expression of love. Some people say, oh, there's no love in the home. Well, does your dad go to work and provide for you? Does your mom wash your laundry? Dirty shorts and all. Does your mom iron your clothes? See, that's love. You all got your heads dipped down. I'm talking to all of you here today. See, that's an expression of love. It's an expression of love. And so the Bible, when it talks about, you know, love in the home, love in the family, it takes everybody doing their part for there to be peace. For there to be love in that home. And, and if one party doesn't do their part, then, of course, it can disrupt the whole peace of the home. It can disrupt everybody else in the home. Because they're, they're, they're a trinity. They're joined together by God. And, and it takes everybody doing their part to, to make everything peaceful and, and loving in that home. But like I said, as preachers, we, we always pre- preach the ideal and we're supposed to preach the ideal. You know, we're supposed to preach husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. We're supposed to preach wives submit to your husbands. You know, and also love your husbands. We're supposed to preach children obey your parents. You know, and fathers, provoke not your children. Don't exasperate them, you know. Uh, so we're supposed to preach the ideal, but here sometimes we can get so condemned because our reality is not so ideal. And when you look at even Christian families, everything isn't going according to the script all the time. Families get off. Members of the family get off. Children go astray. Am I talking to anybody today? Did I get the right message from God today? You know, everything doesn't work out ideal. Everything can get off course. Any one of those members of that family can go awry, not follow God's will, God's plan. And it can cause a lot of upheaval and destroy the peace of the household. But I'm here to tell you that God not only presents an ideal in Scripture, But he also gives us ways to get back on track and to have influence in the midst of situations that are not ideal. It is not all over for you if things aren't ideal in your family. Because love will find a way to turn things around. God always has a way that we can bring things back into his divine order to express his image and likeness. 
Can I get an amen from somebody on that? And I was reading this scripture, and I, I want you to see you have power even though, even though members of your family may not be believing God like you, may not be following God like you. You know, I, I, I did an observation just in prayer about some of the families of our church. We'll get real down deep and personal here. And you wonder why sometimes your kids have done this, your kids have done that, and they've gone off to this and they've gone off to done that. A lot of times, church kids, the reason they, they go off is because of unbelief. They get raised in a church, they hear the word, and they try to make it work. But it doesn't work for them. And if, if I was watching them, I'd say they don't really work it right. They don't work it fully. They don't work it living a, a, a godly life and all the factors that are involved to make things turn out right. And they give up on that truth. And so they get older and they get older in their teens and nothing's happening for them. And they don't believe God can turn that around. So they take things into their own hands and they're going to make it happen for themselves. And sometimes choosing the wrong things to bring it to pass. The Lord said the root of that disobedience is unbelief. They don't believe. They give up believing that God can make a difference. These are good kids. They're raised in church, had a good heart before God, wanting to, to grow up in the house of God, to be the next generation to take over in the church of God. Right? But they, somehow they, they gave up on God's way and they couldn't wait for God to bring things to pass. So they're going to take things in their own hands. They're waiting for something to happen. It ain't going to happen. So I'm going to go help God out to make it happen. Well, you might get a hold of the wrong thing when you do that. And, and that can mess things up. Right? That can mess a family up. It can mess a church up. Uh, let me ask you again, am I preaching to the right crowd today? I think I am. But I want you to see, it ain't over because all that happens. Love never fails. Love never fades out or becomes obsolete. Love never comes to an end like a flower does to decay. No, love will still work and love will still energize your faith. And faith is the victory that will turn the situation around. But you got to be the most spiritual, dedicated Christian you've ever been in your life. This ain't the time to get carnal. This isn't the time to let up. Look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14. The context is talking about when you have in a family, in a marriage, in a house, in a home, when you have one party that is a believer and the other party that's an unbeliever. And it switches it. It could be the wife, the unbeliever, the husband, the believer. And then it switches the, the wife is the, the believer and the husband is the unbeliever. And it says this about a family, about a marriage, about a home. It says, for the unbelieving husband, verse 14, is sanctified by the wife, the believing wife. And the unbelieving wife in the case where the wife's the unbeliever, is sanctified by the husband, who would be the believer. 
And it says, else were your children unclean, but now are they holy? The fact that you got one believer in the mix brings a sanctifying power into that situation that wouldn't be there had you weren't, weren't believing God. Amen. Now that word, uh, having an unbelieving partner, could be somebody who, who hasn't accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, but it can also be uh, some, a person who doesn't belong to the group of believers in Christ. Not just because they've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior, but because they've departed from the house of God. And it shows, and it's because they are a disbelieving one. They are an unbelieving one. Most people depart because of some form of unbelief. They couldn't get their faith to work. So where do you go when you come to the place where you think everything's supposed to work and it's not working? You got you got to go elsewhere. You depart. See, it's an unbelieving heart. It's an unbelieving heart. It, it's, the, it's the word faith, P-I-S-T-I-S, and it's a, the negative in front of it, the word letter A, and it means to be disbelieving. It means to be unbelieving. It can be uh, speaking of uh, heathens, but it actually you know, can literally be taken being faithless. Being faithless. And that is not just because you have it, but in your life, in your, in your action, in your, your attitude. But think about this. If, in the extreme case, you have one person that's born again, believes in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and you have one person who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ and Lord and Savior, that person is affected by that believer, yeah. is sanctified. And the effect of that one believer brings sanctification even upon the children. What's that mean? They're going to be drawn closer to God, separated from something in the world, and separated unto something of God because you got one believing one. This ain't the time to quit believing. This is the time to, to not be a believing believer. <laughs> you know, if that'll work when you got a totally lost person and a believer, how much more potential do you have when you have a believing person and maybe a carnal believer? You haven't lost all your influence just because of their unbelief. Just because of their disbelief. Can I get an amen from somebody? And it has an effect on your children. Don't backslide because your children backslide. Don't backslide because your family members backslide. You keep going on for God. Amen. Amen. You, will, you will come out on top. Amen. Praise God. Thank you for your enthusiasm on that. It's, it's a different world out there. But you got to fight for your family. And don't give up that fight. You know, it seems like the, the, the life, the things we're exposed to because of the advances and everything are, are we get bombarded with things that maybe earlier generations of, uh, who lived didn't get exposed to, you know, and technology can have a bad effect, but that just means we have to be more on guard because there's more things that can come through that to, that can lure them away. 
Can I get some enthusiasm out there? Amen. And, uh, you know, we used to, used to have, like, you know, sitcoms and different things that would try to project what life was like in the ideal setting. And I, how, this is really going to date you. Uh, most of you that are, let's say, 40 and under, you'll you have no idea maybe what I'm talking about. How many of you remember, you're going to give away your age now, how many of you remember the TV show Little House on the Prairie? Okay. How many of you don't never heard of that before? Oh, that's pretty good. You must have heard about it from your parents, you young ones, right? Well, you know, that was a story about these people in Minnesota, you know, back in the 1870s and 80s, and how everything was just nice and beautiful, and everybody had their, fulfilled the typical roles. Everything was nice. They had little issues here and there, but they always managed to resolve it before the half hour was up and the show came to an end. <laughs> and it was like this projecting this ideal family situation. Well, we're, the families aren't like that no more. <laughs> it's no longer little house on the prairie, uh, the prairie. It's more like little house on the freeway. <laughs> you know, things have gotten faster and faster and faster, and, and things can get out of hand very quick. Am I right about that? But guess what? We don't have to give up because things go awry or things get off course. God still has a way to bring things back around. What do you do if people in your family are not obeying or they've gone astray or they've gotten off course? What do you do? What do you do? I'll tell you some things to do. Number one, don't get into fear and don't faint. Whenever something close to you like your family, people in your family go off, it can hit your heart and really just mess your heart up, put you into a panic situation. Psalm 118.6 says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? Don't get into fear just because they've gotten off and everything you're seeing they're doing is looking crazy. The devil will try to torture you and the devil will try to torment you and afflict you. He'll, he'll try to use that fear as an entryway into your mind to create imaginations and pictures of things that are worse than what the condition is, although it could be bad. But he'll, he'll, he'll take advantage of fear. Don't get into fear. There is no fear in love. Perfect love what? Cast out fear. Don't get over into fear. Don't get into fear. You know, resist that. And don't throw up your hands and just give up and faint under the situation. The Bible says he gives power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increases strength. Praise God. God will, you know, when it hits you like it hits you in the pit of your stomach when it's your family. And it's like you just want to cave, you know. But don't give in to fear. Fear is the entryway. Fear is what Satan wants to perpetuate in your life so he can torture and torment you. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. You got to resist that fear. You have to resist it. It is a spirit, you know, and it's out to torment and to torture you. So don't get into fear. 
Don't, don't play with that. You know, don't allow that. Fear will bring bad, false imaginations. False, false images that appear real. You got to resist that. We don't have to get into fear. Even though it might look like everything is falling apart, I will not fear. In the name of Jesus. No fear here. In the name of Jesus. Why? Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That means we have something to do with not allowing fear to get on the inside of us. It's not like you're living in denial. It's just you're not going to allow what you see and what you feel to possess your insides to control every minute of your day. And you have to speak to fear. Fear won't leave on its own. We, we, what a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus. Fear must bow to the authority of the name of Jesus. Even if you don't know the answers of what, they, what you need to pray about, you can, you can resist fear in the name of Jesus till you figure it out. Don't, because I don't know what to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how this is going. You don't have to know all that to resist the fear. You get rid of the fear in the name of Jesus. Devil, you're not going to torment me over this. It's not going to turn out that way in the name of Jesus. The Lord is on my side and I will not fear. Can I get an amen from somebody? You got to resist that fear. The next thing you got to do is get your heart fixed and established on the Lord's help. Get your heart fixed and established on the Lord's help. Psalm 112 says, he shall not be afraid of evil tidings. Why won't you be afraid of evil tidings? It says because his heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He shall not be afraid until he see his desire upon his enemies. So the key to, to keeping fear out is get your heart established. Get your heart established on the Lord and get it established on the Lord's help. Look in Isaiah 50, verse 7. This is one of my favorite verses. Isaiah 50, verse 7 says, For the Lord God will help me, and I will not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. Uh, Robert, you did tell them to say amen when I made a good point in the service. How many of y'all heard Robert preaching in the beginning? Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Those that are obedient get free spaghetti tonight in Jesus' name. Verse 7 says, For the Lord God will help me. Just because there's failure in your family doesn't mean you don't have the Lord's help. It says, The Lord God will help me. He says, Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. I will not be confounded. I will not be frustrated. I will not be dis disappointed. I will not be disgraced. I know that I shall not be ashamed. When things go bad in our families, as a parent, we feel guilty. And you start examining yourself. What did I do? What should I have done? Where did we go wrong? How could this happen? And you start 
All good people do that. Because you feel guilt. Right? But then the consciousness of what happened that others now can see and it becomes public, you go from guilt to shame. And you have to deal with shame. Because now what you felt guilty about, the circumstances that produce that guilt are now publicly known and now you feel disgraced. It's when that, that guilt, the situations that made that guilt, made you feel guilty, become publicly known, is then you start to feel ashamed. That's not the time to feel ashamed. You need to resist that. You need to drain the shame pool. Amen. The devil tries to shame you, meaning, you know, like excessively blaming you for everything. Now, you might have had some responsibilities in it, but that's none of his business. Right? But he'll bring shame after that guilt you feel to try to make you feel you walk around in church with your head bowed and you're hoping nobody brings up the fact of what your kids are doing or have done. That ain't the thing to do. The Lord God will help you. Therefore, you shall not be confounded. Therefore, you have set your face like a flint and you know you shall not be ashamed. God's going to take the shame away. God, God is going to give you his help to help reverse that shame that you feel. Have faith and confidence in the Lord's. Fix your heart on God's help that'll come. What will it do? It'll take that shame away. Amen. Amen. And don't try to hide things that people already know about. They already know about it. So why are you trying to be secretive about it? Afraid that it's going to come up in a conversation. No, you don't, don't, get, get, don't go there with that. You know, you, if it comes up in the conversation, you say, the Lord God's going to help me and I'm not going to be ashamed. I'm going to come out of this in the name of Jesus. Praise God. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. Thank you, Jesus. And you, you help your brother and your sister with that. We love your brother. We're for you. And it's going to come out and it's going to turn out in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. So, so get your heart established in that, not on what they're doing. What's Hebrews 13, 5 says, uh, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You might feel forsaken, but it's only a feeling. <laughs> he said, I'll never forsake you. So he's there right there with you, giving you help. So that we may boldly say, in the midst of those feelings of being forsaken, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. And he says, confidently say it, boldly say it. The Lord is my helper. Thank you, Jesus. If your wayward kid comes up in the conversation, say, the Lord is my helper. Hallelujah. I've got the help of the Lord with this in the name of Jesus. 
Are you listening to me? Don't be just dogging yourself in your own mind, keeping your head bowed and ashamed to look at people because you think they're going to think about what you know about. No, we're not here to do that. We're here to, to help one another. Amen. Take a time, get honest with yourself, get honest with God, accept responsibility where you may have messed up. But then after that, get, get in the fight. Get back in the fight. Praise God. You know, it's like in a basketball game, you get behind. What do you got to do? You know, uh, we're going to have a full court press. We got to get back in this thing. You just don't act like, you know, you're not behind. No, we're behind, but guess what? We're going to put on a full court press. We're going to cause some enemy turnovers. Hallelujah. We're going to make, do something that'll help turn the tide of things. You got to keep the press on. Spiritually, you got to keep the press on. Don't give up throwing the towel. What do you got to do? Third thing is pray to God that he'll give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. See, if they don't, it doesn't matter how much you want something for somebody until they acknowledge it in themselves, you can't change them. But you can pray for them that they'll acknowledge the truth. What does that say? It says, you know, and the servant of the Lord must not strive. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 24, I think it's 24, it says, Servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient or forbearing or long-suffering. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God perhaps, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Just pray. Pray. If they're not changing, they're still going off every day. Say, Father, I thank you for giving them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Every day, God, give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. What happens when they acknowledge the truth? You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So I'm going to pray that God will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. That's who has to acknowledge the truth, them. Right? But you can pray. God, give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Thank you, Jesus. And then... Pray that God will give them a hearing ear and a seeing eye. What's that? Look at Proverbs 20, verse 12. Go to Proverbs 20, verse 12. That's in the Old Testament. I can tell if you're turning your pages there because you should have almost like an evenly proportioned amount of pages on one side or the other. Okay. Proverb 20, verse 12 says, The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord hath made even both of them. The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord hath made even both of them. Why, why, do you want, why should you pray that? Well, it's because of something they're not seeing and they're not hearing or that they didn't hear that they have gone awry. You remember what Jesus said about the people that rejected him? 
he said that they, the people, there would be a people, uh, it says, by hearing you shall hear and, and, and shall not understand, and seeing you shall see and shall not perceive. And it says, for this people's heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, that, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Praise God. So Jesus is talking about people who rejected him. It was because of what they saw and what they heard. It's what they're seeing and what they're hearing. Something, they're hearing something different inside. They're seeing something different when they, when they look at things. Right? But guess what? We, the hearing ear and the seeing eye belong to the Lord. The seeing eye and the hearing ear... Are, are, are important for a person's conversion. Yeah, that's right. that's the light comes and they see. Yeah. Their ears all of a sudden open up and they hear like they never heard before. Well, that can happen to our wayward child or wayward family member or wayward relative or wayward person, yeah. partner even, right? They need eyes that see and ears that hear. Yeah. Lord, give them eyes that see and ears that hear. Yeah. Every day. Thank you, Lord. Grant them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. And Lord, give them eyes that see and ears that hear. Amen. If they really saw things clearly and if they really were hearing God's voice, they wouldn't be doing the crazy things they did. Amen. Look at someone and say, I know that's right. Know. Amen. Fourth thing. Fourth thing is, I would like to say, take your anger and frustration away from them and go to war in the spirit realm against, against spiritual darkness, deception, and demonic forces. Amen. Take that like, man, I'd like to wring their neck. I'd like to, what? where did they learn that from? They, did, did they learn that from you, honey? No. Did they learn that? No. Where did they get that? What? How could this? What? You know, and you get all just. Anybody ever got angry at your children before? Come on, put your hands up. Camera, do a span. Right? Well, take that and go to war in the spirit realm, not in the flesh. You're not going to win that war in the flesh. Your wrath won't make things right. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. You want them to be doing something righteous, but your wrath can't turn it. But your warfare can. But you got to go to war in the spirit, right? For we wrestle not against what? Flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of the world, against wicked spirits in heavenly places. But look at this in Ephesians 2, verse 2. There is also, there is a spirit behind the disobedience of people who are going off course. And we talked about that name, the beautiful name. He has no rival. He has no equal. It's a name above all names. Well, that name, we need to use that against, in the spirit realm against those spirits, and one in particular, the spirit of disobedience. Amen. So Ephesians 2, verse 3, 
Or no, verse 2 says, Wherein in time past you walked, this is all of us before we got saved, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So, so people who were unsaved, it was the, under the influence of another spirit. And it's that same spirit is now working in the children of disobedience. That could be unsaved people, but it can be saved people who are now being disobedient. Do you think the devil's going to leave a Christian alone just because he's saved? He's going to inspire disobedience. He's going to seek to deceive that person to disobey. There's a spirit behind that disobedience. Characterize that. What's the disobedience in their life? I guarantee you there's a spiritual influence behind it. Don't be dumb to the spirit realm. There are spirits of disobedience. Spirits behind the disobedience you see in your children. It doesn't mean they got a demon in them, but they got a demon in here that they listen to in here. But guess what? We got authority in the name of Jesus. And so we got to go to war against that. You spirits, principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world that's deceiving such and such a person, I bind you in the name of Jesus. You lying, deceiving, seducing spirit, go from them in the name of Jesus. And do it daily. Do it daily. See, love will, love will fight that kind of a, fi- uh, a fight. Love will find a way. Praise God. That's your love in action when you're going to prayer for your family. Don't give up and say, well, they're old now. They're out on their own, out from under me, and you just give up. You're hoping they get married, find another home, and then they're off on their own. That's their business. No, 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 no. You, 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 you still have a legacy in this earth that God intended you to leave behind. Don't just give up on them. Go to fight. Go to war in their behalf. Then the the next thing, stand on a a definite word and hold fast to it. Look in uh, Romans 11, verse 20. It's by faith that you stand. Romans 11, 20. It says, well, because of unbelief, they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. So faith, when I'm standing, it's by faith. What's that mean? I'm holding my ground to something I'm believing, and I'm not going to budge from it. So I'm standing, it's like a military term, taking ground, and I've got my flag dug in, and I'm not going to give up this, this ground. Amen. I'm standing. So what is it? I, I have a promise from God. I'm standing on that ground of God's promise, and I'm not going to give up. Let's look at this, 2 Corinthians 1.24. It says, Not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith you stand. How do I stand? You stand because something isn't matching what God's word says it should. So you take a position of faith, believing what God's promise says, and I'm standing on that until that changes. 
I'm making a stand of faith. But guess what? Faith comes by and hearing by the word of God. So if you're standing for your children, what is that word you are standing on? Because you may be just wishing. Do you have a definite Bible promise that you could quote out of your mouth? Right? And it doesn't, you, don't have, you don't need a passage of Scripture. All you need is one verse, one faith-giving verse that you're standing on. For, for your family. You know, all thy children shall be taught of the Lord. Great shall be the peace of thy children. That's, that's one verse. Uh, Psalm 112.2 says, My seed shall be mighty upon the earth, and the generation of the upright shall be blessed. Lord, I thank you. My child is mighty upon the earth, and they are blessed in the name of Jesus. I'm standing on that. If you don't have a verse, you can't have faith. If you can't have faith, you can't stand. So what are you standing on for your wayward family members? What, what, what exactly are you standing on? You got to have a verse. Or you're, not, you're just letting things go and they're on their own now. They'll have to do it the best way they can. They made their bed, they're going to have to sleep in it. Well, use your faith and give them a new bed. You're all looking at me like I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm crazy. <laughs> no, I'm a man of faith. I'm going to fight. I ain't going to cry. I, I did my crying when, I, when they do the bad stuff and you hurt from it, okay? Crying's over. Now we got, we got war time. Now we're going to fight. We're going to fight. We're gonna, we we got to fight. You're not going to have them. In the name of Jesus, the line is drawn. We're, we're going to war. You hold fast to the profession of your faith without bending, without wavering. My seed shall be blessed. My seed shall be mighty on the earth. My seed shall be taught of the Lord and great shall be their peace. Got to have a verse. See, the sword of the spirit is the verse that you can put in your mouth. If you don't have a sword verse, you can't stand. You, you got to be able to stand in faith, and you need a verse to have faith. Are you with me on that? Then here, here's probably a very, very important point. Number six, don't stop living, serving, and pursuing God because of them. That is the absolute worst thing you can do. Amen. Don't put your, your life on hold because they aren't going with you. The temptation of every parent is you want, to, you want them included with you so you slow down and are willing to back off your commitments and your dedications and things you've established in your life in an effort to try to get them to be included. But all that that does is causes you in your walk 
to adapt down to where they're walking. And if you're not careful, you'll end up being where they are. A little leaven leavens the whole loaf. Right? Don't, the, 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 the temptation for a parent is to, or your spouse or whatever, you, you know, is to adapt down to their level of living in your commitment, in your involvements, in your uh, adjusting your walk to theirs, you know, because now they're coming around. And all it does is get you to quit, uh, quit keeping your commitments. Don't do that. Don't adapt down to them. You, you just don't do that. Whatever you compromise to get, you'll end up losing. Keep your, keep your standards strong. Keep your sta- what, what do they, if they do come back or when they come back, where are they going to come back to? You in a backslidden state? I know, I know I could give you lots of examples. I won't say names, but how a family member goes off, the, fam- the parents, they adapt, and then the parents are nowhere in the kingdom of God serving, working, supporting the things of God. No longer go to church, no longer tithe, no longer doing the things that they already had established in their life. Developed in their discipleship. They, they had a good walk. And then you're, you're trying to accommodate the wayward child. The father didn't adjust to the prodigal. He stayed in his house. He stayed doing what he was doing. And when he saw the son come back, he ran toward him to welcome him. But what if he would have gone awry and adapted the house down to the wayward prodigal? No, don't make your house a pig pen because that's where the wayward child is gone. Keep it clean. Keep it high. Keep it holy. Keep it righteous. Compromise will never get what you want. Whatever you compromise to get, you end up losing in the end. So don't do that. There was a situation in in Colossians where, um, in Colossians, Colossians 4, it was about Paul exhorting different believers, uh, and some he he told them to keep, you know, he encouraged other people. This one guy's name was Epaphras. He says, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. And it says, for I bear him record, verse 13, chapter 4, verse 13, that he hath a great zeal for you and of them that are in Laodicea and them at Heropolis and so on and so forth. But then in verse 17, he talks about this Archippus. He says, and say to Archippus, Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord that thou fulfill it. And that's my advice to you as parents Take heed to the ministry you've received in the Lord. Amen. That you fulfill it. Amen. 
Amen. Don't quit taking heed to your ministry in the earth. You'll be judged for that. Did you do what I told you to do? Whether your children do or not. Take heed to the ministry you've received in the Lord that you've fulfilled. Amen. Look at, look at this last verse, John 21. Remember when Peter, he got focused on what Jesus was doing with another follower. You know, it happened to be John. And I think it's John 21, 22, something like that. Peter, seeing Jesus, saith to him, Lord, what, what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Don't adjust your following to what's going on in someone else's life. What is that to thee? Follow thou me. So parent, uh, spouse, or, or whatever the situation, you keep following God. You keep following God. Don't do things that unsanctify your life to try to win them. Stay sanctified, stay holy, stay doing the right things, stay believing God. Praise God. Keep going on and on and on. Amen. Keep being a good follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And hold fast. Stand in faith. Amen. And God is good. You will see an impact from that. In the name of Jesus. Praise God. Oh.